Well, good morning, everyone. What a great day, nice and chilly out there. Well, we are celebrating the Christmas season uh, by uh, spending time in this series that we're calling Christmas Songs or Songs of Christmas. Great songs often have great stories that go behind them. And maybe you know the story behind a song I'll tell you about, but it's the story of John Newton. Some of you may have heard of it before. John Newton lived in the early 1800s, and in his youth, he became the captain of a slave ship just at a really early age. The problem is, one, it was a slave ship, and two, he was a drunk. And so here he is living this life. He, he, he spends years out on the open ocean transporting human cargo to various ports. There are times when John was so drunk and destitute that even his crew regarded him little more than an animal. One time he fell overboard and everybody celebrated. And instead of throwing him a life raft, they threw a harpoon at him. And, uh, but they missed, and so they dragged him back in and onto the boat. Well, he was just a callous, callous uh, young man. One particular experience at sea that God used was they, en- they ended up in this huge storm and the waves were crashing over the boat and, and all of the livestock that they were transporting, livestock and lumber and beeswax, and as the livestock all washed over into the sea, every man on the boat tied himself to the boat so that he wouldn't be thrown overboard. And it was in this kind of harrowing storm that John Newton got down on his knees, he surrendered to God, and he asked God to forgive him and to love him. And it was from that experience that this song emerged. Well, John Newton went on to become a Christ follower. He trained for the ministry. He became a pastor and a songwriter. Uh, He actually was the pastor of the famous British social activist, William Wilberforce. And, uh, of course, he and William worked tirelessly in their in the latter days of their life to abolish slavery that was his focus as well as preaching the word of god and that's the story that goes behind amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see great song probably the most popular well-known hymn around the world Great songs often have great stories that go behind them. And we're going to look this morning in Luke chapter 1 at a great song. And we're going to start by looking at the great story that goes behind the song. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Here are both these guys, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Zach and Beth, and their old age, probably in their 80s, you know, they're, they're sitting in their rockers, reading their AARP magazine, and... And they didn't have any kids. They didn't have any grandkids. And, and so it was pretty quiet around mealtime. You know, just them. Zechariah at the time was one of 18,000 priests living in the nation of Israel. 
There were a lot of priests in that time, and so many of them lived out in the country. And twice a year, for one week at a time, they would travel into Jerusalem to serve or work at the big temple that was there in Jerusalem. Well, he lived outside of Jerusalem. He was married to a woman who they both were from this really uh, uh, religious families. They were like PKs, pastor kids. And uh, because they were both of the line of Aaron, and they were both from priestly families. And these are great people, in other words. Great people, great families, great upbringings. And they loved God, and they served God their whole life. But they lived in this tension that many of us have experienced, or maybe even experiencing this morning, and that is the tension of this. They believe in God, they love God, they serve God, yet they have been disappointed by God. And so those things are mixed together. And, 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 and their disappointment came from praying and praying for a child. And because they had no child, they were disappointed. Their home was this mixture of love and service to God, but also this kind of undealt with hurt and disappointment of the heart. And many of us know what that feels like. This deep disappointment led Zach down this path of going to church, singing songs, you know, being a a religious professional. But underneath the prayers was this river of unbelief. Life's disappointments, they hit us all, don't they? And when they come your way, you'll either get bitter or better. We run to the cross or we run away from it. We grow in our intimacy with God as we allow God to touch the broken, barren places of our soul, or we just kind of let it stack up, or we live in denial, we cover it up, we run from it. Maybe we develop really good-sounding theology and religious language to cover up the disappointments of the heart. And if we're not careful, we start reading our past disappointments And the way that we feel that God has failed us into our everyday life and into the circumstances that hit us today. In other words, if bad things happened in the past, probably it's going to be negative today too. You know, when your car goes into the mechanic, you don't think, hey, it's probably going to be some simple fix. I'll just pray about this. No, you begin to think, man, it's going to be bad. You know, it's always bad. And I'm going to take it in. It's going to be like $500, $800, $1,000. Maybe the engine's gone out. And because of that, now I'm not going to get to buy the gifts that I wanted to, to buy. And I'm going to have to put it on a credit card. And then I'll be paying that thing off forever. And I'm going to disappoint people because now this won't be the Christmas I thought it would be. And that's going to lead to marital problems. And we'll probably end up getting a separation because we can't handle one more problem. You, you, you need a, a fuel filter. It's $50. You don't need a divorce. (laughs) But when life has been disappointing and hard and we've had bad experiences and we prayed and things haven't happened, it's automatically we just kick in, don't we? We kick into this negative type thinking where we don't really pray about it very much and we don't believe that God is really going to come through. And unbelief can really rob you of the song God wants to put in your heart. Put in your life. It can rob you from a God-focused life. Zachariah and Elizabeth are two people who never felt like they measured up to the people around them. 
I mean, they were viewed as less than, and they, they were, because in that day and time, if you did not have a child, if you struggled with infertility, you were looked at by all of the rest of culture as something's probably wrong with you. God hasn't blessed you in that way, and there's probably a good reason why. Well, they felt this way, and they felt like the third wheel at every social event. Life had been difficult because they were different. And those, there are those of us in, in our church that maybe you know how that feels. Maybe you have a certain disability, and you know how that feels. People don't understand your disability, and so rather than trying to push past the awkwardness and get to know you and understand maybe what you're struggling with, they just avoid you because it's awkward. Or maybe you're over 35 and you're not married yet. And you know how that feels. People look at you like, what's wrong with you? I mean, are you like damaged goods or what's the deal? Are you too picky? And it's really easy to feel out of place. I felt that way when I first started going to church. Not this church, but (laughs) a different church when I first started going to church. I mean, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't. I didn't feel like I fit in. Everyone else seemed like they knew more than me. They were better people. They had a better past. They knew when to sit and stand and kneel. And they just had the whole church thing down. And and I just felt like a fish out of water. It's easy to feel that way. And Zachariah and Elizabeth, they felt that way. They had these unanswered prayers, a barren wife, a religious life. Zechariah had fallen into becoming a professional Christian, living a moral life, believing in God, but not really expecting a whole lot from him. And so here's this tension that's set up. Now, verse 8 says, Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So, one of these 18,000 priests were going to get picked. They were going to draw lots or have like a lottery. And Zechariah comes to his typical duties for about a week in Jerusalem in anticipation of this big day on Saturday in the temple where the lots would be chosen and the priest who was going to be chosen, the one guy at 18,000 who was going to go into the Holy of Holies and offer up incense and carry the incense in, which represented the smoke of the incense, represented the prayers of God's people and the redemption of Israel and the praying for the Messiah to come. And by chance, Zechariah's name was chosen. I mean, that's a huge moment. Out of his entire priestly career, this is the big day. This is a day that not everybody gets. And he knows it'll never happen again because once you're chosen by lot, your name doesn't go back into the lottery. So with great pride and excitement, after being briefed by other priests who have done this before, he gets his incense burner ready He go ready, and he goes into the inner court and into the holy of holies, the inner place of the temple that not many people would ever see in their lifetime. And he's in there and he's burning incense and he's praying and he's praying to God and he's praying for the redemption of Israel and he's praying for the coming of the Messiah. And in verse 11, it, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and he's thinking, nobody told me about the angel guy who scares you. Because that had never happened before and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have great, you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God was fixing to do something big. They would have a son who would be this prophet who would have the privilege of preparing the way of the Lord to announce to the world that God's one and only Son has arrived on planet Earth. You guys know what fixing is, don't you? We said it in Texas a lot. It's a word that has a lot of meaning punched in one word. You know, it's I'm preparing to, to, to do something. Like when Tisa would say, I'm fixing to tear you up. She meant, I'm going to stop what I'm doing over here and I'm going to come over here and kick your booty. You know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm fixing to do it. God was fixing to do something pretty amazing. He was, he was putting all of his attention and effort behind sending the, his one and only son. And watch what Zach's response would be in verse 18. Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. There was something behind that. It sounds kind of innocent, doesn't it? But Zachariah was saying to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife, she's old too. He was chosen by lot for this huge miracle. He's in the middle of living out his dream in the inner court of the temple. He's in the holy of holies. And he's praying and God's presence is there and an angel shows up and announces this great News that he would get to be a part of. And his response is, sure, whatever. I'm sure something will go wrong. We're old. There'll be complications. We might miscarry. Dr. Bills will be sky high. You know, and if he does make it, there'll probably be health issues. And people will laugh at us for being the oldest couple in town for having a baby. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Bummer, dude, that you're you're downing me out here. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering, what's the delay in the temple? When he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home to his wife. I mean, there's good news and there's some bad news. When God is fixing to do something big, it requires faith if you want a front row seat. The good news is that when God comes and he gives you his word and he speaks into your life and he puts a a promise in your heart, he wants us to join our faith to what he's going to do. 
That's the ticket to the front row seat, having faith. Now, having faith doesn't mean that you don't have questions. It doesn't mean that you don't have some lingering doubts. Henry Drummond, the Scottish evangelist, said, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe, whereas unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. See, the bad news is that because of Zechariah's unbelief, God was still going to do what God was going to do, but Zechariah would now not be able to be a fully a part of it like he would have. He'd still be a part of it. It's just that he wouldn't get the same front row seat that he was being offered. Well, Zechariah, you know, he's mute now. He goes home, probably stops at the market to the pharmacy to pick up a couple little blue pills, goes home. And then his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And she said, the Lord has done awesome things for me and taken away my shame and my reproach among the people. And then as you read through the scripture, the next 30 verses are about Mary and her song and her response to the angel coming to her. A different response, a a response of, of faith. But we'll pick up nine months later in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And so he says, give me a writing tablet. And he writes down, John, that's what his name is going to be. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose. And he spoke, blessing, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You see, nine months of not being able to talk. That's tough for some of us. Nine months of not being able to talk, but lots of time to think. Lots of time to ponder. Lots of time to adjust attitudes of the heart. Lots of time to listen to what God was saying. Lots of time to compose a great song. Zachariah's song is theologically deep and it would just unleash on the people. Let's read it together in Zachariah's song or his prophecy. What the ancient church refers to as the Benedictus, the blessing. Verse 67, and his father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. I'm sure this thing came out in some power here. Blessed be the Lord of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness, and in righteousness before him all of our days. And you, 
child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What a beautiful lyrics behind this song. This blessing, this prophetic blessing, faith had generated over that time in Zechariah's heart. And the word of the Lord was strong in him. And he's just pronouncing this blessing that John would bring as he prepared the way of the Lord. And here's the cool thing. Even though he responded in the beginning with unbelief, God still did the miracle. And when we respond to God in unbelief, doesn't mean God's going to give up on us. Doesn't mean that he isn't going to do what he wanted to do. God will still do what he wants to do in your life, in your kid's life, in your grandkid's life. God will do what he wants to do in the earth because he's God. My doubts and fears and my unbelief will not determine what God will or won't do, but it will determine the part that I play in it. Will I get that front row seat? You see, maybe, maybe, maybe Zachariah, should he have responded in faith, would have been able to spend that whole season of pregnancy that his wife was pregnant bragging on God, talking about what God was going to do, and just rejoicing in his heart and being able to verbalize that if he would have just trusted Zachariah was set back, but he wasn't set aside. He was lagging, but he wasn't lost. There was still a song to sing, but it came after God did what he said he would do, not before and not during. And that's good news. That's good news for those of us who struggle maybe with unbelief or struggle to trust or struggle to believe. I know I've had many transitions in my life where I went through times of struggle and and, and just trusting God for that job I needed or for those friends I needed or for that church I needed or for that, that, that situation to change in my life. And, and I've, I've walked through seasons where I just, I had a hard time trusting God. And I tried to control too much. And I tried to just, and, I, and that control ended up causing me to worry too much. And then you get through a season like that and God comes through in the end and you go, ah, oh, I wish I would have known then what I know now. I wish I would have had faith to see God would have worked this situation out because he still worked it out. It's just that I struggled and drug my heels all the way when God invited me from the beginning to just trust him all the way through on the journey. You're in a journey. I'm in a journey. Will you trust him through the journey? Wherever you are in whatever transition you're in, whatever stage of life you're in, wherever your kids are at, whatever situation with your job, God invites you and me to trust him, to trust him in our life, to trust him during the journey, to not just wait for the outcome and go, oh, yeah, he is God. Oh, he did work it out. But to prophetically declare, to have that blessing of the heart, to have that prophecy in your spirit now, 
instead of just later. God invites us to do that. You see, a real and authentic faith is not one without disappointment or pain. A living faith is one where we walk with this tension often in our heart, where we do have a past of some disappointments, but we have a present where God is on the throne in our life and he invites us to trust him today. Zachariah's doubting didn't thwart God's purposes, but it maybe just changed his level of participation in it. So what, what area of doubt are you contending with today? Maybe you're struggling today with certain prayers that you have prayed for loved ones or for situations to change. And you didn't feel like God kind of worked it out the way you wanted. And you can let that go kind of underground and create in you this sense of unbelief. Or you can bring it to God and He's not, he's not afraid of those things, your anger, your hurt, your disappointment, and allow him to touch your heart, allow him to deal with the brokenness of your soul. Or maybe your struggle is a different one. Maybe you doubt the promises that God has made in his word. You're doubting to really trust that and believe that. You can make a choice today to just trust him, to test him in his ability to fulfill his word. God fulfills his word in our life. And just step across that line of faith and say, okay, today I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going I'm to trust that, Jesus, you are real. Jesus, you are the son of God. Jesus, you came to this earth to die for me, to pay the penalty of my sin. And I'm going to trust you today. And I'm going to place my faith and trust in you. Or maybe you just have doubts that you're valuable. That you're valuable to God and you're valuable to his kingdom. Because God wants to use you. And you've had excuses like, what could I do? I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not spiritual enough or I'm too busy. I'm not good at anything. And God wants to intervene in the middle of that and say, no, quit all the excuses. Come, I have a purpose and a plan for you. I need you. I want you to participate in my kingdom and what I'm doing. Let God be God. Can I challenge us with that? Let him be God. Let's trust him. Let's trust him in the area of our finances, in our relationships, in our health, in the areas where we're praying long-term prayers and they haven't happened yet. Let's trust him that he's God. And one day it will all make sense. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. You're a good God. Even when things happen we don't understand and we witness pain and suffering and it brings questions in our heart. And Lord, I know you're not afraid of our doubts. You're not afraid of our concerns. You're not afraid of our disappointments. And today, would you bring those to God to start that process to say, God, I... I I'm going to bring those things to you today. I need you. Maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and drawing you. Would you step across that line of faith today and just open your heart to him and say, God, I, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to surrender to you. 
And I'm asking that you come into my life and forgive my sins because I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've hurt people and I've hurt you. And I'm asking that you come in now to my life and begin to mend, deal with the brokenness of my soul and my unbelief. And Lord, just work in me. Draw me. Save me. Friend, if that was your prayer, God is at work deep in you. He's drawing you and he's changing you. And that work on the cross, Jesus dying on that cross is is a work that is complete and full. It will change you from the inside out. And I invite you to tell someone about it. Begin to talk about it. Begin to invite others to help you in your life. Lord, we just ask as we go through these next several weeks leading up to Christmas, God, that our hearts would be looking for where you're at work. That we wouldn't be experts at looking for your absence, but we would become experts at looking for your presence. And Lord, put in us that song that we can declare your faithfulness and your goodness and your grace even before things happen. When we're living in that uncertainty and that, un- that place of not knowing yet how the outcome will be. Help us walk in faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.